Thank you all for checking out Convergence. Today you are listening to a conversation with Pastor Fritz Merkins, a close friend and spiritual mentor. In the podcast, we talk about cynicism, how I got there, and how I began breaking free of it. Check out our website at convergenceva.com. There you will find featured artists and their artwork, as well as past and present podcasts. You can also find Convergence Podcasts on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Convergence Podcast for the wanderer, cynic, and half-empty. So I have uh, Fritz with me today, and uh, how you, how you doing, Fritz? You you doing well? Yeah, I'm doing good. That's good to hear. Um, so if you don't mind, just um, go ahead and jump right in with the uh, first question, please. So, on this whole issue of cynicism, what is it about you, Andrew, that gives you the impression that uh, you're kind of cynical? Well, I find that I have a hard time trusting people in general and their motives, and I also find myself thinking the world is corrupt and... I just, I don't feel like I can trust anyone or anything. Okay. So it becomes an issue of, of trust and, and and looking at the world. So it's kind of a dark look on the world and a dark look on personal interpersonal relationships. Y- yeah, I mean, I just, I think over time I've just felt like the safest thing for me to do is to um, sometimes assume the worst and trust, but maybe very cautiously, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a very pessimistic outlook on on uh, everything, and if you get a little bit more than something, a little more a little better than the worst then you're not disappointed yeah definitely as disappointed shall we say <laughs> so how did you get to this point well I think a lot of it stems from my childhood experiences um, people I trusted and loved um, betrayed me um, I loved and trusted my dad and I felt like he betrayed me when he turned from me when I needed him the most. Um, my stepmom, I trusted her, and she wound up being my abuser. And my mom, she, uh, I felt like she abandoned me. And um, different people in school who I would um, trust, they would you know, laugh at me and make fun of me and call me ugly. And as I got older, um, girlfriends I had, um, they'd cheat on me or dump me for someone else. And I had relationships that ended because I wouldn't have sex with them. And I 
just felt used. And then you throw, like, normal life stuff in, into that. And, um, like, a let, let down at a job or someone not following through when they said they would. And so, I guess, combination of all those things just uh, damaged me, I guess you could say. And so, I just kind of felt like that was the norm. And so, I just grew to expect that from people, I think. Okay. So, if you expected them to be untrustworthy and you expected them to fail you, then that was a familiar. Yeah, or even just hurt me in some way, you know. Um, so a lot of times you wouldn't get into a relationship, you just kind of be very distant maybe, so you didn't get hurt again, or did you just assume you get hurt and think you deserved it and jumped right in and got beat? Uh, that's a good question. I think looking back on it, it's kind of weird because part of me wanted it to not end that way. And part of me believed that it always would. So I, I think I jumped into relationships sort of recklessly, but also cautiously, if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to explain it. Um, okay. So I, I don't know how to really explain that. I would, I think I would jump into a relationship and... I don't know. That's really hard to explain that, Fritz. Because I, I feel like part of me held back, but part of me opened up too much. And maybe that, maybe the reason I say that is because I would still wind up hurt when the relationship didn't work out. So when I look back on it, I might think, yeah, I was too open, but maybe I wasn't. You know what I mean? Maybe it was just the hurt. Um of the, the ending of the relationship that makes me feel that way when I look back on it. I don't know. Okay. So you don't feel like you were setting yourself up to be beat, hurt? No, but, I mean, no, I, I don't think so. Um, okay. But the way you described and what you described, the way you handle not trusting people and seeing the world that... Uh, became kind of a survival technique, way of surviving, making it through. Yeah, definitely. How how was that how's that true? How'd that work out for you? Well I never really thought about it like that, but at the time, but I felt I just felt safer um just kind of throwing my hand up to people and the world and stand or um Standing with my fists up, ready to fight, um, I felt better leading with an attitude of not caring, and if you let me down, so what, you know, and I don't... So detach, detachment, apathy? Yeah. Okay, so as a survival in the sense of, you, you really wanted to have an apathy, you know, just an apathy, and a detachment, you know, sort of this sense of not... It won't affect me anymore. Definitely. And the thing of it is, I would never have admitted it, and I not even maybe to myself, but as much as I clung on to that viciously 
I never actually felt that. You know, I never really um, felt that apathy. It, it always just hurt. And um, I might have appeared that way on the outside, but it was not that way on the inside at all. Okay. So you were trying to fake yourself out. Definitely. Inside you were all just messed up and getting more and more pained and hurt. But on the outside, you were convincing yourself that you were getting hardened and tougher to this stuff. Something like that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So did it work for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it did not. Um, it made me feel a lot worse, honestly. Because um, part of it, uh, I kind of grew to just disattach from everything and everyone and so really I wound up just being and feeling alone which is the opposite of what I really deep down wanted like deep down I didn't want to be alone or feel alone I wanted to to be loved and I wanted to feel a part of of people you know just a part of uh community i guess i don't i don't know how to explain it i just wanted to be a part of something okay so you felt detached alone not not connected not making a contribution so this and and, and there's this little person i'll say little person deep down inside buried in there and no one can get to that person and that person can't get out because of all the pain, history of pain, and the apathy and detachment uh, techniques, the cynicism that you kind of covered yourself with. Am I hearing that somewhat? Correct me. I mean, I, I need, I'm not playing Dr. Phil here, so correct me. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, you nailed it. That's that's exactly what, what it was. Um, yeah, that's, yep. So why is it dangerous? Why why'd you, why? <laughs> It was survival, and it said it didn't work for you, but uh, it sounds like it's kind of dangerous, you know, to have that kind of living, that kind of cynicism. Describe that a little bit. Why was this dangerous for you? Well, it's dangerous because, honestly, I, because I was alone, you know, I couldn't um, connect with anybody, and... Um, connection is important. You know, you need to, you need to have people around you, um, like days that you feel like your depression is really bad and you want to end your life. And then you look around and nobody's there or it feels like nobody's there. And that definitely amplifies that, um, desire to want to end your life or you find ways of coping um since you're alone or you feel alone you find ways to cope um with the pain that you feel on the inside um like for me um i and i it's i don't like to admit it but um for a while i drank a lot that was my way of 
kind of escaping from myself. Um, and of course it never worked, you know, I just wake up the next day feeling like crap and, you know, things a mess everywhere and, you know, it just, it was foolish. It, it didn't accomplish anything. It just was a, one, a waste of time. Two, I just physically felt terrible and, you know, you feel like it's, you feel like you're escaping the pain at the time, but the pain's still there, you know, it's, and reality is still there. And you're just made, or at least I was, made more aware of that, of reality and that pain the next day when you're sobered up. And then you got a hangover on top of that. And so, you know, just, I think that's why it's dangerous. You know, you just pick up these coping mechanisms that are very unhealthy and very unstable and... Yeah, I mean, you have nobody to, to hey, you know, you you really shouldn't be doing that. Um, or, hey, man, let's just talk for a little bit, you know. what What's going on? How are you, how you doing? How are you feeling? You know, I, I'm noticing that you're not really acting yourself today. What's going on? You know that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And, hmm. um, just very detached, yeah. Yep. So how did, I mean... You're not alone on this, but I know you're big into music and things. What was, as you said, you got to cope with this kind of stuff, and if you're going to live that way, I mean, with the cynicism, and you mentioned about the alcohol, but what about music? What's the kind of the pros and cons that you discovered when it comes to trying to use music uh, in in this little stuck place of being stuck in cynicism? Man, I there. <laughs> There's a lot of directions um, to go in this because, for one, list, let's I'll just start with listening to music. Um, so early on, I discovered that I was a metalhead. I really liked metal music a lot. Um, it was kind of this. It just fit kind of like a puzzle piece and with the the feelings that I felt inside um you know the fast aggressive guitar music the vocals it all just you know it was kind of a way uh a megaphone I guess in a way without me verbalizing in the megaphone the music was kind of doing that for me if that makes sense and the problem was the metal music that I was listening to was amplifying the negative stuff that I was feeling. So it was just, it was reinforcing all those negative thoughts I had about myself and the world around me. And so, yes, in a way it was helping me to get the emotions out, but it wasn't taking it a step further it wasn't helping me move past that and see the world differently in a more healthy way um so that that was kind of my experience with listening to music um playing music um 
guitar, playing guitar really helped me, especially when I was still um, a teenager and living um, in my childhood home. Um, it was a, a way that I could safely express my emotions without anybody discovering how I was feeling. You know, I would take all the the hurts and all the just everything that was going on with me internally and just play it out on my guitar. And so it was safe. And even as I um, no longer was at that house, it was still a safe way for me to express my emotions. You know, it was kind of cloaked by music, so to speak. But a problem that I did have was that music and guitar playing, it became all-consuming um, in my life. It became like an idol in my life. It was like this this thing that was like music or nothing kind of uh, thing. And so anything that came within the vicinity of me that threatened that um, was very... It was either met with heavy resistance or... Um, I would just freak out, you know, I thought, well, this is taking this one thing I have away. And so over the years, God has worked very patiently (laughs) with me on, um, finding a healthy balance with music. Um, I do believe that God has, um, given it to me as a gift to use for his glory um, I do believe that, but um, he he knew it was an idol in my life. He knew it was something in my life that um, I wasn't balancing in a in a healthy way, and so he had to really work with me to uh, kind of put it in a place in my life where it was more. Uh, I guess shift the priority, so to speak, where, you know, God was, and my relationship with him was more of the priority than music. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go back and my questions and reflections of what you're saying. You know, I hear you saying, you know, that with the music, the I might say the cynical side was that as part of a survival as a survival tool, you're expressing, 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 but you're not communicating, and and it's your your world's getting darker, 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 and you're expressing, but you're not communicating, and as part of that, you're getting you 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 get almost more obsessed with if I just do more of this and get more of this and more of this and. It's not working, and uh, that's at least what I'm hearing in that. Is that somewhat correct? Yeah, I, w- I would say definitely. And it, okay. it's weird too, Fritz, because I did experience some form of community and bonding and brotherhood um, as I was in bands with my friends. Like in high school, I was in um, a band with my friends, and... 
I was in a couple other bands um, post high school, and you did. I did feel community there. It was really good, um, but I was still very much so in that shell. So I think what you said is exactly spot on because it's weird in a way I was feeling that community, but I wasn't really um, doing so as a healthy person. I was doing it very much, very much so as the cynical Andrew. So Mm -hmm. the benefits of the community never really flourished. As you're talking, it's a little corny, but it sounds like a chorus of, cynical self-expressionists <laughs> kind of but you're not really communicating with each other but you're hanging because you're sharing a common you know pain not a common pain but you're sharing you have a lot of pain and you have the pain together and you're expressing the pain and and that draws you together but when it comes to really communicating with one another very deeply not really yeah definitely okay so with all that, what what were you, I mean, you didn't want to be, obviously, you know, you, with that kind of approach, you don't really want to be deeply known. So what are you afraid they might find if they did deeply know you? I think ultimately, if I have to really kind of boil it all down, I would say that I was really afraid that people would see that damaged um, hurt little boy inside, um, that, you know, and that, that damaged boy represents vulnerability and kind of a trusting heart, you know, kind of like you would expect from a little child, you know, they're generally pretty trusting and kind of naive and full of life and energy and, you know, I was afraid people would see see that little boy and also see the damage and think, okay, he's vulnerable, I can attack, or wow, what a mess, you know, or some kind of, draw some kind of offense out of it, you know, that kind of a thing. So vic- victimization on... One hand, you know, at best you get pity, you know, kind of that contemptuous, you know, what a mess, isn't it contemptible, pitiful, and that, that's at best, and, and, and unfortunately more likely perhaps uh, with vulnerability, brokenness, uh, victimization. Yeah. More victimization by people with power and all that. So, oh boy, so how, what... How did you get out of that cynical ball of poop? (laughs) A lot of it, Fritz, started with a combination of my wife um, challenging me in my thoughts and my worldview and also counseling. as I went through counseling and it's weird, but I became more self aware of my, of who I am. And then I could better see 
those uh, cynical thought processes. Because it's weird, a lot of that stuff is kind of subconscious. Like, it sounds like, oh, you made the decision to do all these things. And in a way, I did, yeah. But I think also a lot of it is subconscious. And so as I went through counseling, and as my wife, like my wife would hear me say something and challenge it. And over time, I challenged those thoughts myself, you know, as I would catch myself thinking, you know, oh man, you know, if I, if I share this, then people are just going to jump all over that or, you know, like, um, if I get too close to this person, then they're going to wind up hurting me in some way. So you, you challenge those things. And what does that look like? Well, that looks like um, bringing it to God. And what do I mean by that? I mean, God, I am really feeling like if I get close to so-and-so, they are going to stomp all over me. And... Then just allowing God to work with you with those those thoughts. And you come to find out that um, a lot of your stability, a lot of your um, who you are as a person is centered and rooted in Jesus Christ. Um, and that's really, once you take hold of that, that's when things start to change, I guess you could say. Okay. Let me, let me ask a question that takes us. So getting, this is a bit of a reflection summary, that you, you, you learn to, I'm going to use my language on this, you, you learn through being challenged by people that you at least had a sense had, in your case, your wife, yeah, you had a sense that it cared for you, and even though you had this cynical ball, you still, reality of somebody's care was more real than your dark world within, and the devices and techniques and tools to keep it that way. The, the, her care, uh, and in the sense of she cared, truly, and you knew that, you could, the reality of that sort of was bigger than your own feelings, and that her confronting your words and phrases and behaviors, confronting, saying, you know, that's just not it. You started to question your, you question these things, and then you became God-honest. I'm hearing you say my language, though. God-honest about, with God, about what was going on. And as you were getting God-honest about what's going on, you started to you know, verbalize or at least you know to some of those lies that you were believing and then you really did start to not want these lies in your life anymore and you then really did renounce them uh with God's help very much and, and take in what is truly true about you know God truth about 
these various things that if you did, for example, share some of your experience of your early life with your wife or somebody else, they're not going to reject you. And you had to come to that point being God honest that that was a fear and that that was a lie you were believing and God honest about that was attached to that fear and, and that you had to be work it out with God to the point where you could actually then maybe say a little bit of something and find out, huh, I'm not getting rejected. And with the right person here, I'm not getting rejected at all. Something like that. I'm kind of playing it out a little bit, but I was listening. Definitely. Yep. Okay. And then, and then once you're starting to go into that, that trajectory, going in that direction and opening up in that way, coming out of that ball of poop cynicism that then is, is that's happening. Really Christ takes hold in a new way. And that's, I don't want to do the deus ex machina, you know, kind of God jumping on in, but how did that kind of come about? You know, talk about that part of it now. Yeah. And once you're starting to open up and, and before that, you know, Oh, anyway, go ahead. I think, um, to be completely honest, I'm still in some sense in that phase, um, of, I guess you could say recovery. I don't know if that'd be a good word to say, but in some ways I had, I had to figure out and be honest with myself what I felt like was missing that I needed. And one of the things that I figured out was that I was putting my hope in a lot of these other people or circumstances and when they would let when they would let me down or the circumstance wouldn't go according to plan I would be crushed and so what I've learned and I'm continuing to learn is that if I put instead root that hope in Jesus Christ then I'm okay. Can you give an example, though, just to make it real for everybody, including me? Yeah. More real for me. So, a huge thing for me right now, um, the job that I currently have, I have wanted to leave this job for probably about three years now. And for the longest time, it was something that would, I would spiral every, every Sunday because I knew I was going to work Monday. I would be in the worst mood, you know, like 100% cynical. My wife, it's kind of funny, she, <laughs> she re- kind of refers to it as me being Eeyore because um, that's what it reminded her of. But, I mean, that's basically what I was. Sunday, I was Eeyore um, every Sunday. And, um, I just kind of didn't want to be around anybody, you know, like, oh, I got to go to work Monday. And over time, I have learned to be content with this job. I still don't like this job, but I am content with this job. And the reason I'm content with this job is because I'm not focusing on 
I got to get out of this job. I got to, you know, I'm instead focusing on, okay, I'm in Christ, right? And I am okay. I am okay. And the Lord is um, allowing, using this job to provide for us financially to pay our bills. Our bills are getting paid. Um, and I even reflect back on when we first moved to Virginia, I really wanted a job that was outside. And um, there was a couple of different job opportunities that were kind of all in limbo at the same time. And I really felt God's guidance um, to hold on to this <clears throat> this landscaping job that I have now. And um, it was kind of hard to do that, but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I really s believe that God um, blessed me with this job um, years ago. And so I, gotta, I, I remember that too, you know, that... And so, I don't know if that, does that answer your question? I feel like I'm kind of babbling on a little bit. You're saying, I mean, there's a lot of things you're saying in there, but I, at least relevant to the question that, as opposed to a, a dark, swirl, cynical outlook on your job, you know, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, did I tell you I hate it? And then I got to get out of it, I got to get out of this, I got to get out of this, I hate it, I got to get out of this. And, and that being your self-talk, head talk, and attitude and approach. So you, and then when you're done with, oh, thank God, and not really thank God, but thank God I'm done with this for the week, and oh, I just can't stand it, I hate it. I, did I tell you, I hate this job, and i got to get out of it. So you were in that swirl, that black hole, and then you started, as, as Christ came in, you you started seeing it in a God context. You started seeing this as something provided to you. Uh, you. You started seeing this as a provision for your family. You started seeing this as as something that you you know you could be content in as you put your trust more in Christ. And so that that was part of the opening of a black hole of cynicism regarding your job. Is, is letting God bring you into that context, bring you into that appreciation, bring you into the reality of some of the benefits of this. And I'm probably missing something, but that's what I was hearing. Uh, yeah, that's definitely it. And I think, too, um, a lot of it, too, is reframing how I viewed God. Because um, I found myself... I, prob I might have always felt this way, and that God just kind of brought it into my viewpoint but um i was also the cynicism that i felt was also directed at god too because um, it's kind of like god why am i still at this job you know god what's going on god where are you mm -hmm. and over time as i've challenged that those thoughts and viewpoints you know, God has, God has shown me that He's always there, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. He is there, and you can look back 
and see that he was there. Whether it's, um, hey, I just stumbled upon this podcast and it really helped me through my day at work. Um, that that definitely happened. I wasn't really a podcast listener, and um, I just kind of gave it a shot one day. And I I really feel like God kind of brought me to that point where I could listen to these podcasts, and they really kind of opened my mind to all these questions and doubts that I was having, and um, just the the consistent um, sound of God's Word and strong Christian brothers and sisters speaking truth, you know, mm. kind of uh, cycling in my head while I'm mowing the grass. Um, and that really helped break down a lot of those cyclical thoughts that you get stuck in. Um, and that, just really briefly, is the point of convergence. You know, that's what we want to provide for people that are listening and partaking in this, is um, that breaking of that cyclical negative thinking that we get stuck in. Um, but anyways. Hmm. I'm hearing you in there, in your, I'll say, a, a God concept that you held, you know, based on your cynicism, and, and it's kind of the one where, you know, where were you, God, when all this happened in the past? Uh, where are you, God, in this miserable job I'm in? How come I'm stuck in this miserable job, and I hate this miserable job? I must have done something wrong, and blah, 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 you know. And and so the 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 absence of God, as you understood God to be in that cynical world, or the the negativity of oppression of this God, as you understood this God to be in that in that uh, cynical world you were in, and finally having a poke where the God who is God poked into your dark world, kind of like your wife did, in fact through your wife and also poked into your dark world through this podcast that you just happened to stumble in on. So I, I don't know. So God, the God who is God was poking into, and, and you listened to the podcast. You choose to listen to the challenges of your wife as opposed to just saying, ah, you don't understand, you're, you're just this and that. And that's that God who is God you discovered as your is that God's poking into you that uh, there's so much more to this God and so much more, uh, not so much more to this God, but there's so much more, this God is so much more good than you could ever imagine. And, and your concept of good wasn't that good. So it's like, wow, I hear that. It's, it's part of that coming out of the dark hole. Yeah. Taking God as God and not just the God of your imagination, experience, or feelings. That's right. And, okay, that sounds cool. So, with all that, wow, that's quite a bit that you've uh, you've unpacked right there. Would you say you, you, still, you still struggle with some cynical thinking, though? I hear you saying that. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think what I'm learning right now um, just, uh, what God is kind of bringing to, up to the surface right now is that, 
for me when when I've I've lived this kind of cynical um, Eeyore lifestyle for so long that it actually feels and it sounds crazy and even when I think about it or say it I I just think man this sounds crazy but it feels more comfortable to me than the opposite of that where I'm not cyn- cynical um so yeah that's that's yeah. I think where I find myself now is um sometimes kind of battling that um that line where I can easily slip into the cynical Andrew or I can mm-hmm. choose not to mm-hmm. and if that makes sense yeah I hear you saying you're not you're no longer just saying well that's the way I am or saying that's just the way I was brought up and or how I experienced my early life I mean instead of all those bad excuses for just saying this is who I am you're just saying no I am a child of God. That's my primary identity. And I hear you saying it's part of that, that, uh, well, basically you are tempted, yes, to go back into factors of personality maybe and uh, feelings that have still images and thoughts attached to them. But, you know, you don't have to go into the swamp with them. You know, you can, when they hit... You're learning how to deal with them. And, and instead of, you know, if they hit and get a little deeper instead of saying, well, there's nothing I can do except go in the swamp, you know, you, you are discovering there are things that you can do that are right and healthy. And you're no longer identifying yourself with your, you know, identifying yourself with cynicism, identifying yourself with the pain of the past, no longer identifying yourself with, with all of that. Yep. You're identifying yourself with the God who is God. Yep, that's right. And, and who is presented in Christ Jesus, the fullness of who he is is presented in Christ. And that's important because, at least for me, when all all of this becomes out there somewhere, ethereal, it's kind of cool to go right back to Jesus Christ and know in those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that I'm I'm getting a true experience, portrayal, portrayal and experience. Really, God's experiencing me through that text and giving me a good sense of who God is. And that's helpful because I can get phony God concepts and I can get into cynicism and negativity and and I can get into... And to go back to Jesus Christ is to then get into a, a right approach to myself, God, life, and others. Yeah. So it helps. And I would say too, I don't know if this is um if there's a better way to word this, maybe you can, but I oftentimes say that Christ is stable. You know, all these other things <laughs> in life are not stable. And so it's also for me recognizing that Christ is my stability. You know, I yep. can't create that stability on my own. Nope. I think <laughs> that's part of what's fed that cynicism for so long is that I've I've tried and tried and tried to create this 
stable, predictable um, kind of life. And it just failed over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And God woke me up to that, you know, destructive pattern. So. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, he, he, he's saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, and that constancy, that givenness, that, and, and good. You know, not just they're glaring at you or you know, waiting for you to do wrong, to punish you, or to say you did a wrong. You know, to really discover the nature of God in Christ Jesus and that the God who is God and the Jesus who is Lord, they're a constant and, and actually put the Holy Spirit inside of us as an anchor for hope, you know, an anchor, God anchoring us, stabilizing us. And that's kind of nice, because then we can be you know, as crazy as we are at times, and life can be as uh, stormy as it is, and we don't have to go down, because <laughs> yeah. we're anchored. We're that, anchored. Yeah. And that's that's been helpful for me. Yeah. I use the words stable, settled, and sober. Those are three things. And I mean sober, you know, of course that's uh, literal when it comes to substances of various sorts, but also sober with regards to God, myself, others, being self-aware, God-aware, life-aware, other-aware, in the right way, in the God way, in the God-truth way. So that helps me a lot to keep sane amidst my own issues internal and the things that go around me. So, yeah, I hear you. I got a question for you to kind of pull it together on my end. Sure. Do you find, do you find cynicism is kind of, we've talked about it, in a sense, do you find cynicism to be uh, advocated at this point as a, a means, maybe the best means for finding out who one is? I mean, this kind of self-discovery, don't let anything from the outside you know, influence you at all. Just you have to find it all from within. Discover who you are, what you are. You know, it's kind of like you're turned in on your impulses. And cynicism is a way of not, getting too, not letting anybody intrude too much into your internal world, not letting anybody intrude too much with their ideas, their concepts. You know, you have to make a self, define a self, find a self. I mean, some of that. Do you find that some of that in there? Definitely, um, absolutely. And I think um, also to add a little bit on there, I think there's a a certain pride in being a cynic, and it's kind of viewed as the um, mature thing to do to be a cynic. And mm-hmm. anyone who is not a cynic is ignorant or just got has their head in the clouds or something um i often hear too people say well i'm not cynical i'm just a realist (laughs) and so yeah so yeah and i'm not gonna lie i've said i've said a few of those things um i have or just if not set yeah if i didn't say them i at least thought well you know, you just have your head way up in the clouds, like, come on back to reality, you know, do yourself a favor, (laughs) but 
I mean, it's just... It's ridiculous. It's not... It's not helpful. It's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear you. It sounds like the the mentality, you know, at at the end of the existential journey, uh, the, the cynic is basically saying, you know, way back when, you know, I thought I could find it, but I never did. And now that I have tried to find it in, in, money and success and now that I've tried to find it and doing all these good things sounds like the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible doesn't it? Yeah it does. Uh, now I'm at that point where I can tell you there is no it. Just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In a different way. So but it's a lie. Even in the book of Ecclesiastes after doing all that stuff you know, getting this stuff and making this stuff and doing this stuff for others and all blah, blah, blah. You know, it comes to that point of you can't find it, that stability, that settledness, that sobriety. And only in God. Yeah, I mean, it's just like what I was saying before. I was so focused on, for so long, so focused on just trying to create my own stability and all I was left with when I looked around was me and that was it it was just me and my mess no matter what I did it was just me and my mess and your and your mess was decomposing you exactly yeah and trying to make a self define a self and find a stability you're decomposing becoming compost yeah so if it's okay with you, um, do you mind? I know we've talked about this um, even outside of this podcast um, a little bit, but um, you correct me if I'm wrong. You've had your own kind of battles with um, cynical thinking. Um, am I right in saying that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. I can make myself real with that. I mean, I... I've, very negative person. I mean, I, I grew up in a negative household, defined as people being negative about the world, negative about the people, about all that, and very smart people. My parents were very smart and very negative and very connected in the world. And I'm not blaming. I just say you dance the dance you learn early on. And I so I picked that up and that kind of negativity really dominated my early my early years all the way through my teen years. And so I looked for kind of utopian deliverances from that in various ways and came to awakening by Jesus Christ, not as a utopian deliverance, but as a real deliverer who's God, <laughs> as opposed to utopian. So that's that, and that began a, a journey of, uh, shall we say, uh, unswirling the swirl that I created, and of thinking, attitude, behavior, and and taking it the other direction, unswirling it upward. So, yeah, I have getting away from the images, that negativity, that cynicism, that um, 
in my life. And I can go into depth in, in it, but I just at least can give you a sense of it. Feel free. One thing I, I heard you say that I want to ask you about is um, you said um, you discovered God and... Um, no, that, God discovered me, well, I think, more than anything. Definitely. Because um, if I discovered God, <laughs> I, <laughs> I would have I messed it up. So go ahead. But um, the utopian thing that you mentioned, how do you describe to somebody... There are people I know that um, they really feel like um, belief in God is a hope in some kind of utopian wonderland. So how did you... Uh, how did you come to view not view it that way as a cynic? Well, looking at, getting into various utopian notions, and it, it goes back to the it, you know. If, I, if we just, if only it happens, then everybody will be happy, and if only it happens, everything will be better. And so, you know, I could go and say just the, uh, became cynical about a lot of those notions. I, I mean, the utopian notions decompose. They fell apart. I mean, you get into it, into it and the people that are into that particular notion, you find out they've got a bag load of crap they're bringing that they're not about to let go of. And that, uh, you know, what's the word? The, the 1794 French Constitution Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, you know, human equality and, oh, nice piece of literature. And uh, guess what the reality was? The guillotine. You know, Robespierre, who was basically saying, you know, if only we can cut and purify, cut and purify. And, and so people in the, you know, people have value becomes really, ideology has value. And if you don't fit our ideology, you're not a human being anymore, at least by our definition. So, I mean, that kind of stuff really churns one's stomach. And and so I, you've discovered, I discovered more and more, I, we, I need, we need, the world needs a God who is God, a God who really is God, not just another utopian notion. And it's certainly not just a cynicism, which is, is just a, a cop-out and a detachment. I mean, and that's what I discovered. I discovered that the God who is God and the Jesus who is Jesus Lord is really giving an accurate revelation of our human nature and that sinfulness. And I know we don't like the word sin, but in essence, sin is, I want it my way. Yeah. I want it my way. Ideologically or, you know, whatever, commercially, I want it my way. So, you know, discovering that, that this God who is God and Jesus Lord is, is clearest on, on human nature, my nature, my human nature as well, and, and on most clear about what our life is to be about and how we can be in healthy, truly healthy relationships because we can get over ourselves. Yeah. And, and that's something else I discovered, that all these other things, you never really get over yourself, even if you sell yourself out to the ideology and die for the cause. What's the cause? It's it's already decomposing by the sin that already has just tainted it to the core, even though the 1794 Constitution of France sounds so beautiful, the Robespierre and the guillotine are the reality. 
Yeah. So my point being that a clear, hopeful reality for me as an individual, a clear, hopeful reality that I've seen work in the lives of so many people around me so they get over themselves, we can get over ourselves more and more instead of just talking about love and usually equivocating it with lust in our own selves. And I don't mean just sexual. I just mean our own lust for more and more and more and more than never being satisfied. That's what I'm talking about. So then discovering also that as I get into the scriptures, as I study what's going on here, that this Jesus is not just a fairy tale. I mean, this is not just a nice tale to help us to cope with and get better relationships and treat each other better and have hope for the world. It's He really lived. He really claimed to be who he was. He really died. And he literally rose, literally rose, not just a figurative, symbolic image. No, you know, not just a metaphor. No, he really rose. And I need a God who is God enough, big enough, that real enough, in my face, in order to be truly rescued from me, rescued from what I deserve as part of that, I, you know, that, that whole, I want it my way. I want something to be God that's not God. And, you know, I want something to be more ultimate. So that's kind of what helped me. It's, it's reality. God is reality. And what God reveals is, is I mean, it's true. And he rose from the dead to prove it. Yeah. If God wasn't reality, I feel like, like if he was just another fix, I feel like it wouldn't have worked for you and me. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, this is a bit of a tangent on my part, but I, I heard what you're saying. Here, here's the thing. A fix that wouldn't work for me. No, not even just for me. Others, seeing another person as a person. Seeing another person as a person. Now, we all talk this stuff. You can hear it on the radio and psychology, babble, babble, babble. But it goes back to that 1794 Constitution in Robespierre. I mean, Robespierre, the equality of all human beings, the equal value of human beings. Yeah, as long as they fit your ideology. (laughs) If they don't, then they get devalued real quick. And then they become scum and rats and cockroaches and all this in your mind and heart. But seeing people that beyond their self-labels, seeing people beyond the labels they put on me, seeing people beyond the labels that I may tend to put on them, you know, just to see the people as God-made people, people made in the image of God, and letting God take me there and keep me there. And then seeing that person as a person for whom God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus to die, that person, that one that maybe I'm tempted to put a label on. They're tempted to put a label on themselves and say, you're not accepting me unless you take my label. You know, you're, you're hurting me unless you take my label. Or the label they put on me. That's, that's where it really cuts in for me. And it's helped me a lot. And he's helped me a lot to get past my their labels on themselves, their labels on me, my labels on them, to see the person, the person that's made in the image of God. 
and that takes you a lot past cynicism. Takes me a lot past cynicism. There's yeah. hope even for that person because there's been hope and is hope for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. And I I want to say, too, the unique thing about the Christian walk is that unlike a lot of other things, most things, maybe all other things, the Christian walk is putting yourself last and putting others first. And I think that that is in and of itself completely opposite of cynicism. Yeah, and I gotta say, and I have to say, because I say to myself all the time, because God has me covered, I can do that and want to do that. I can do that because I know who I am because he's given me my identity. I know where I'm going to go when this life is done. I know he's leading me. I know he's empowering me. I know he's not going to take off of me. He's a constant presence. I can put myself last. And I can put others first because they're people made in the image of God. Not a bunch of ideology, bag of ideology or labels or or anything. God said, this is a person. God said, this is a person made in my image. God has said, and God is God. So that helps a lot. Then I want to put others first, because this is a person that God is, God loves, and I can get over myself, because I'm covered. Yeah. Yep. And I think, too, I want to say that a lot of these um, calls to um, or cries for human value are um, are settled in Christ. And yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're always feeling disrespected, devalued. No one's giving you honor. No one's giving you enough value. Never enough value. Always being disrespected. Oh, this this endless grasping after value and trying to find it in some kind of utopian notions of, you know, when we all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, having discovered who we truly are in our own little cynical shells. You know, it's crazy. Just crazy. And we're just we're just stomping on each other to to get it. You know what I yep. mean? Oh yeah. It's power. Yeah. Value comes from power. Where else? in the world where does value come from power yeah and I guess and ideology in closing I would say too something to consider is that as a cynic you're doing to other people what you yourself are afraid other people are going to do to you so good point I believe what does what that really like just I guess just think about that, you know, like you you have this negative view of the world and those around you and you think everybody's out to get you and everybody's trashing you, but in your in your cynicism, you are really doing that to other people. Yep. 
And so, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Fritz, but I think both of us just want to challenge those that are listening to this to break out of it, snap out of it, and embrace Christ and take it moment at a time. Just moment, yeah. moment at a time. I'll give my end three three images that go with. Um, uh, you may know what what they're kind of what's behind them, but let me just say what they are, and they help me so much personally. Number one, you know, if if I'm acting like I'm God, then uh, I've covered myself with poop, and I'm a ball going around and around in a toilet bowl and going down. And there's pain involved in that delusion because that's not what I'm supposed to be about. So I get God concepts. Help me with the pain. Just give me this. Just give me that. Help me with this. Help me with that. So we may even have God concepts or just give in to the cynicism of there is no God. And we go around and around and around and down. And then when we wake up to the fact that we've made ourselves poop in a bowl, then... uh, We've reached a, a, an important realization. And the second one is that there's a God who is God, who really is God. And this God has sent a person of his own nature, Jesus Christ, into my poop bowl. And he's very willing. He's right there in the waters, willing to pick me up, pick this poop ball of a person buried inside up. And when I invite him to actually come pick me up, pop me out sort of like what you said earlier about yourself coming out of the cynicism you know reach down picks up the poop ball jesus does and pops us out and yeah we're still covered with poop and stuff but we realize something i am a person a person of value a person that's lovable a person that's fully accepted secure and significant because of this one who has rescued me and has said, you are valued by me. You are, I treasure you. You are lovable because I love you. You are accepted because I accept you. You are a child of God because I've adopted you. You do have things to be about that matter, and I'll give you the power to be about him. You are significant. You've got a place to go when this life is done. You are secure. I mean, that's significant i'm a person loved valued accepted constant wow helps me yeah. when i start trying to go back in that old poop bowl yeah. cover myself up again and go swirling yeah well fritz I want to thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and being open and real with me and the people listening. And, um, yeah, just thank you for, for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Jesus loves me this
Yeah.